dark I dive in Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Everybody and my fellow trudgers, this is Dion, and welcome to Raw Recovery, a trudging together podcast. Like I said, my name is Dion Miller. I'm going to be your host today. I'm so glad to be back with podcasting. You're going to be seeing us every Friday night here on Raw Recovery. So keep looking for it every week. Friday night live recovery. Today, today we've got a fantastic speaker. And she's going to be telling her story for the first time. That's what's great about trudging together. Um, what we've done is we've created a safe space here for people to come and tell their stories. To be able to come and tell their stories. Um, sometimes it can be pretty arduous getting in front of, you know, a couple hundred people and, and telling your story. So we have found another outlet for other people to do it. Today, I would like to introduce our guest and and welcome to Raw Recovery. Thanks, Dion. I'm Ann. I'm an alcoholic. Let's <laughs> start that off. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? You're already doing it. I'm. You know how this show works. It's not about Dion. It's about our guest. This is God's show. So I'm going to relinquish control now. And go ahead and get started. We are listening. Thank you for having me. Um, I think I want to start my story. I thought thought about this a little bit. Um, I'm starting my story about what my story doesn't include. Okay. My story do doesn't include a series of relapses or right. my family and friends begging me, begging me to quit drinking. Nor I never had a realization that okay. I was an alcoholic at any time during my active addiction. Just okay. Totally oblivious. Um, my story doesn't ex include drinking at an excessively young age. Um, okay. I never partied with my parents. Never partied with my friends' parents. You know, I grew up pretty normal. Many would say I think um, I didn't have a lot of exposure to terrible experiences. Okay. Um, but a lot really didn't know what was going on inside me, I guess. You know, I, I always felt so lonely, unloved, ugly, okay. self-image terrible, never good enough, scared of everything. I had very few friends. Um, I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. Okay. And yeah, I know. I understand that feeling. Was afraid, uh, afraid to speak up in front of a group of mm. people, even in a small, small group. Sure. Um, I was exposed to alcohol all my life. I mean, it was something everyone, I, my family, everyone drank. But I never saw any terrible okay. people falling down drunk or only one experience um, in my younger childhood where... Um, I had to, my mom asked me to go run out and get my dad come in for Christmas Eve. His aunt and uncle had arrived and okay. she wanted me to let him know. And I walked, I went out, ran out into his workshop 
he was a contractor so he had like his own little building that he yeah. Yeah. and he was out there and laying in a pile of sawdust kind of passed out <laughs> and i was like oh boy um i didn't so was tired i was a young kid so i was kind of scared yeah and i he was like oh, oh kind of you know mumbling i ran back in told mom she went out got him that was not a good thing <laughs> kind of pissed off <laughs> um that's really like probably the worst thing i ever saw involving okay. alcohol it, it sounded like your parents were more social it sounded like they just like to entertain yeah, they, um, well, I wouldn't say they were excessively social. I think because my okay. mom was kind of backwards, she forced herself to get a group of friends and start doing like card club once and then they'd switch. They'd have five or six couples and that one day they'd have it at their house, the next day at the other house, yeah. whatever. But, you know, all those people would come over and I was at we'd be down there and eat some of the snacks and people were drinking and stuff. They're playing cards, yeah. you know, we were shoot away, go to bed, whatever. But, um, it was just like, I never really saw anything to the extreme growing up like that. Um, it was just, I was really kind of a loner and I was happy to be by myself in yeah. my room, kind of like my mattress was a, a ship out at sea and oh, i was shipwrecked yeah. and there my little stuffed monkey you know we were making it work <laughs> but stuff like that um Man, you gotta have a good imagination when you're a loner i think i really had a good imagination yeah, you gotta or you're just gonna be bored and get in a lot of trouble <laughs> yeah so i really do think i was born an alcoholic when i look back yeah if i'm honest like, I think my addiction tendency started at a really young age be before I ever took alcohol sure. at yeah. all. Like, yeah. I had issues with food, and I okay. I used food like I kind of used alcohol. Okay. Um, my mom and dad were always like, you know, you're getting a little chubby. You got to watch for treating the body image thing. Yeah. God, should, maybe you should exercise. Maybe you should watch what you're eating. Um that's too much. You don't want to eat a second helping, mm -hmm. um, but you know, finish what's on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> There's that contradiction again. But uh, we weren't allowed a lot of treats and special things that, you know, the things that tasted good, like yeah. the mom would make a big cache of chocolates and cookies for mm -hmm. Christmas and hide them up in the attic. Cause I lived in Pennsylvania. It was, cold yeah. during the winter so you didn't need the refrigerator the attic it was frozen yeah so i'd find where she'd hide that stuff i'd take a couple and i'd spread them out yeah look like nothing's missing <laughs> run down to the bedroom you know have those and still i stole and hid food um at a very young age so that would be kind of alcoholic tendencies i would think yeah it, and it sure is and just a lot of guilt surrounding food. Like I didn't, cause my mom and dad were so rough with me on it. Um, really, I, looking back, I probably only realized, you know, those were alcoholic tendencies. Yeah. Now, after I've been in the program, working the program, doing some therapy to deal with past yeah. traumas and experiences. Um, so 
anyhow, that's pretty much my childhood and even my young um, teenage years up to graduation. When I graduated high school, I moved from Pittsburgh to Harrisburg, maybe a four hour drive okay. to go to school out there. And I lived on campus. Our little apartment had five other girls in it. We had like three wow. bedrooms, little okay. kitchen area and a couch that was kind okay. of together. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So we each had a roommate and my first experience in any kind of, I never even like in high school went to visit a college or a campus yeah. <laughs> or anything. So I just got like spit out into this dorm environment yeah. and a totally new experience. Yeah. Including and, having friends, huh? It was, yeah, I was still very backward and shy. Yeah. And I kind of just delved myself into my studies. Okay. And I went one of the, I went to be a court reporter, which was one of the most difficult. Um, That's a tough job. Difficult. It was one of the most difficult um, choices in the uh, programs that were offered at the business school I went to, okay. which required the most studying, most time consuming. Okay. homework and all that and our courses our our classes started really really early where did you do that on purpose did i be a court wanted to be a court reporter on purpose well that's kind of a silly question yes um, i did actually but, and was it because it consumed your time and because oh god no i had no idea what to expect okay all right with the course i mean they just said it's one of the hardest courses okay but it's something like kind of interests me and i thought i was always like real good with my hands i played the piano i, uh, I yeah. was a great typist and i thought that would be probably something i could do good at and i would get to hear court cases and stuff you know when, that would be neat i would love that too <laughs> yeah so i went through that and it and right away it was like a party environment that all the pretty girls were flirting with the guys and they're going to the parties on campus. And I never really got into that. I probably went to a couple parties and I probably drank, but I don't remember having like a lot of fun. I just remember it being awkward. Yeah. And so I wasn't like, I didn't get stuck in that right away. Yeah. And even though I wasn't partying, I, and I was studying my ass off. I still, after my second semester, I almost didn't meet my grade point average. They had a real high standard you had okay. to meet. And I had to sit out for a semester. My mom and dad had to come out and move all my furniture and stuff back home. And wow. I sat out for like th three, four months. And they said, you know, really think about it, if this is what you want to do because... Okay. You have to get this grade point average. If you don't get it, you know, you're going to fail. Yeah. So I, I got a job at Burger King and then I started kind of dating a guy from Burger King that I worked with and I was okay. out late and I was kind of drinking. I wasn't 21 yet, but it wasn't, you know, and I was having sex and mm. being promiscuous and, um, my parents definitely weren't happy, but then I went back to school. I graduated, yeah. made it through, okay. um, got a job as a court reporter. And, you know, I was very young as a uh, professional. Yeah. And we went, um, what, 23? No, not, I don't even think I, because I graduated 17. I went to school 18, and it was like a 
too. You weren't even you know, legal age to drink yet. No, probably just around there. Okay. And um, I was working as a court reporter. I was working with attorneys, doctors. Yeah. You know, um, I was very shy. <laughs> it was an experience. That's why you were the court reporter. They don't talk. Sometimes well, they, read they it do. Back. <laughs> you have to speak up if you if somebody's talking too fast and you're not getting it, you gotta say hey. Okay. All right. I wasn't saying hey, I was required requiring or depending on my cassette recorder that I had running in the background. Okay. If I didn't understand something someone said, I was hoping I could get it later. Yeah. You know, and and if they could stop you anytime and say, Hey, can you like if something would they testified about something an hour ago and then it came up again an hour later and there was dispute on exactly what was said. Yeah, they could say, go Hey, back. go back and find that. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the court reporting, it was like little paper like yeah, this, but it's stacked up like this. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd be start you have to go through and try and find what they said an hour ago. It was, it was uh, pretty challenging. It's very, you're under a lot of pressure. But anyhow, that schedule for that job was like perfect for me. And it really, really <laughs> got me even deeper into the partying okay. atmosphere because I only went and took a job maybe two or three times a week. I had to transcribe, and it wasn't like a whole day, it was yeah. some things you would just be there an hour. Yeah, you drove okay. to an attorney's office. You got set up in there. You'd take a testimony for an hour or two. And then okay. you'd go home and you could transcribe it whenever you wanted. Okay. And me, we got paid once a month. I would just save all my notes from all my jobs for the whole month. Yeah. Oh, like two all-nighters. Yeah. And right before my work was due <laughs> to the office and submit it. And I'd figure out how many pages that would be, how much I would get paid, what my paycheck was going to look like, how yeah. much I would owe for them making copies and for sending it out to the attorneys. And so I kind of knew what, how much money I was going to bring in okay. and how much I was, if it was going to be enough for me to make my bills and I could just go out partying and stuff. And yeah. so when it really got bad was, when I did become 21 and I discovered all the bars and I don't remember going to bars with friends and stuff. Maybe yeah. one friend would go with me initially, but yeah. after that, like once I was at that bar, I didn't have no problem going in there by myself. Yeah. And I, I'd go into the bars by myself all the time. I ended up on pool leagues, flirting with guys. There you are, the pool leagues. Promiscuous. Yep. It, it led to um, really one thing I never thought I'd tell people. I had probably three abortions, you know, mm -hmm. when I was very young. Okay. I never could have taken that back to my parents. Disappointment yeah. with my parents was the worst thing in my book. Okay. I never wanted to be that disappointment. And I was partying and I was away from home. They didn't know. And I was having fun. Yeah. And, you know, I put myself in dangerous situations all the time, especially with different men. I had no idea who these people were. Yeah. You know, I'd take them home to my house and then 
The next thing I know, days later, they're pounding on my window outside. I'm calling the cops on them saying, I don't know who this guy is. He must have followed me over the bar. Meanwhile, I had invited them there the day before. You know, it was terrible, the lies. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it says in the it says in the big book that um, that we search out sordid places for mm. companionship and approval. Um, yeah, everyone and that really is the path of a loner. Sure, um, and, and I know that because I was a loner. Everyone I was dealing with in my mind was lower than me. And it made yeah. me feel better about myself. That's right. And yeah. then the, the alcohol obviously made me feel wonderful. And now mm -hmm. I'm social. I feel pretty. I hear you. When I started drinking, suddenly I was pretty. The girls wanted me. Yeah. It was weird. But then I did had I think that had to do with the self it has to do with self-confidence, I think. But I never viewed that as a a terrible thing or a bad thing. I never thought, oh my God, I have a problem here going on. I just continued that lifestyle. Even yeah. though it got so bad when I was, I was probably in Harrisburg working as a court reporter for about eight years. And um, at, after eight years of partying in the bars, you meet a lot of people that you click with it, just become friends that you hang out with at the bars that come back to your house and party with you later. And, you know, I got dealt, I tinkered it with some cocaine and some pot. Like, I was a pretty big pothead. Okay. Um, but, I, you know, we had friends. We'd do that, coke and pot. And mostly it was drinking. Mm -hmm. um, and the worst, where it came to an end, where my Harrisburg and my career that I worked so hard to be and felt so great and proud of came to an end was when the party and just was out of control and yeah. I I knew I had a job the next day it was later in the morning and I thought well geez I was in my early 20s I could party all night and get up and go to work yeah, no problem. problem but I we were just you know doing coke the night and there's like maybe five of us in my apartment partying and doing coke you know you're doing coke you're up Yep. I never night. wanted to go to sleep. When I did finally crash, I crashed. Yeah. And I slept through my alarm. I woke up to my phone ringing. I didn't yeah. answer my phone because I was like, what's going on? Where am I at? I mean, I knew where I was at. I was at my house. I was in bed. Yeah, but but I'm like, shit, what time is it? And then I hear my answer machine come on. It's my office. Anne-Marie, they're looking for you at your job. Um, never answered the phone. Yeah. Popped out of bed, ran into the bathroom. Like, I'm going to get ready real quick. But the job was only like a mile away right down the road. Yeah. Throw on, you know, a business suit, brush my teeth, slap some makeup on. I looked in the mirror. I said, there's no way I'm going anywhere. Oh. There's no way I could cover up what the hell. I was looking like right then yeah. and I was afraid I was scared I didn't call my office I never called them I never said I'm not going to show up to that job I never made up an excuse I never lied I just didn't call and I was scared all day into the night I didn't know what to do you know and yeah. I came up with this story I'm just going to call my office and tell them 
I'm having a nervous breakdown. I called my dad. I said, yeah. dad, I gotta come home. He's like, okay, well, you know, make arrangements, come home for the weekend. It's like, yeah. no, dad, dad, I need to come home. I need yeah. you to come out, drive out here with your pickup. Maybe bring Mark, my brother, with your his pickup. You know, I need you to pack up this house. I need to move home. Yeah. I can't remember what I even told him, but I called my office, told him I'm having a nervous breakdown. My dad's going to come get me. I'm yeah. not going to be coming back to work. Yeah. They made sure they talked to my dad to make sure I was okay and I really was going to go home. Yes. Yeah. All through going home. So moved home. Ruined everything. My job, starting over. Yeah. You know, worked in a grocery store just to make some bucks. Yeah. Interviewing, trying to get another job as a court reporter. Couldn't get one, couldn't find one. Went into a temp agency, started working as a temp in, you know, professional offices. Yeah. Um, still drinking like crazy, partying. Um, eventually I got my permanent job, which I'm still in now. I work there 25, I'll celebrate 25 years this year. Oh, and so yeah, and really it had to be God that drove me there and landed that job in my it it at first, you know, I was still partying like crazy drinking and yeah. doing pot and I every once in a while coke, but eventually in that job they um bring you know random drug tests yeah. <laughs> and they took your hair so Ooh. definitely at yeah. that point i'm like okay i just can't touch any drugs well drugs weren't my problem it wasn't my problem drugs wasn't my problem it was the drinking yeah, it was the alcohol yeah and i was drinking and i was bartending part-time and uh. it just was all just fit in like a glove my life I made it to work every day, Monday through Friday. I didn't drink. Um, Friday, all gloves, the gloves are off, man. Binge drinking, binge drinking Friday, Saturday. Drank till blackout, I blacked out, you know, still promiscuous, picking up guys. Um, had my own place at that time. Um, just crazy. And, yeah. you know it was all fun though still <laughs> everything was fun yeah every single person i knew drank they did the same thing i didn't know anybody who didn't drink yeah. i was in that lifestyle and um i i just did that lifestyle until like i never got married i had some serious boyfriends along the way after one or two maybe three years if it got to that point yeah it was too much for me like as soon as it started to get serious and i couldn't really be intimate like yeah truthfully intimate intimate it was um i just for, for me towards the end when i was dating i would i would tell people i was dating i know i'm an alcoholic i know i drink too much and if you try and change me I'll kick you the curb. Yeah. I didn't even try. know that. And I would tell them that. I still didn't know that. You know, I yeah. still did not know. And eventually, you know, I started, I was in my 50s. And um, I happened to run into my 
ex-boyfriend, my very first boyfriend when I was 16 years old. And when I was moving away to Harrisburg, we just kind of broke things off. We said, you know, this is yeah. not going to become anything serious. I'm going to be living far away. Uh, he was maybe three years older than me. I was just 16, you know, 17. Yeah. And so we broke that off while late, in, you know, in my 50s, maybe 49, 50 years old, out of the woodwork, here he comes, his yeah. nephews reaching out to me on Facebook. Are yeah. you blah, 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 and did you date blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. Man, I love that guy. You know, he was my first in yeah. many ways. And I, I, it broke my heart when we broke up yeah. and I had to move away. And I got over him. But um, I was like, wow, just out of the blue, I said, this has to be meant to be. So we got into contact and we started talking. And next thing you know, we're in love. Yeah. He's moving into my house. You know, two years later, we're getting married. The month after we got married, the pandemic hit. Ooh, okay. Immediately, I started working from home. Yeah. He was still going to work. He eventually started to work for my brother. Um, okay. So they become real close. Um, I'm drinking, we're drinking. That's what we do. You know, okay. we drink together. We have people. We didn't really go out drinking a lot. We drank at home and we'd have yeah. friends come over and party with us yeah. at our house. And it's safer. It got bad. Like, yeah. I remember we went out for New Year's Eve. I got so drunk and it was snowy and icy and he drove Ooh. us home and I got out of the truck and slid, on, fell down and slid right under the, the vehicle. Ooh. And he's trying to pull me out. and I I was dead weight. I wasn't even yeah. open to try to get off the ground. I'm laying there like, just let me be. I'll be fine. <laughs> you know? And it was, I was getting so drunk like that. And eventually after we were married for a couple of years, it just became like, um, I, I knew I shouldn't have got married. Yeah. I wasn't happy. And then I was extra critical, judgy and mean to my husband. And yeah. I just would live to get up. I never drank when I worked during my hours at home. Okay. Ever. I had some kind of responsibility yeah. that I was not going to drink while I was working. But five o'clock, damn it, I was moving my ass from Lord in front God. of my computer yeah. right over to my couch in front of my TV, and yeah. that box of wine come out. And I didn't stop the wine until I passed out, went to sleep, got over and did that over and over and over and over again. I no. somehow went from drinking just on Fridays and Saturdays yeah. to, okay, including Sundays. And then, yeah. okay, now I'm drinking every day. Yeah. And well, probably, it was so easy for you, too, with the pandemic and working at home. I started drinking daily before that pandemic. But I still was, you know, making it to work every day. I had to drive, get up early, go to work. I still was doing that, but I was drinking every day. And yeah. I started, it was wine that got me starting the everyday thing. Okay. I don't even know why, because I hated wine. But now <laughs> I started drinking a sweet wine, and then that was, like, too sweet. 
let's go to something a little bit more tart. Oh, that's still too sweet. Next, you know, I'm drinking like the most like Chardonnays and he knows that we're like, you like the first drink you'd go. Oh. And it wasn't just a sip. I was thinking, no, oh. it was a drink. <laughs> so eventually, like it got to the point where I had so much anger um, in my marriage. We were fighting, yelling, name yeah. calling, and the anger became so much that, like, I knew I really wanted to physically hurt him. Oh. And I was like, I have to, um, something's going on. And probably yeah. a couple years before that, I had gone to the doctors. Okay. I always went to the doctor every year, got a physical, and she's did my blood work and said, you know, um, your liver function's a little strange. Yeah. I'm going to send you to go get an MRI or a CAT scan, whatever yeah. the heck it was, sonogram. And I just ignored that, you know. Yeah, you wouldn't, I didn't go either. Yeah. I never went. And so then the next year came and I went in for my appointment and the blood work, it was my liver function was a little bit worse, you know. And she was concerned, you know, it's really... A, not a little bit worse, it's probably a lot worse in Ooh. a year's time. Yeah. And she said, you really need to, how about, you know, abstain from alcohol? And I was like, getting over a freaking cold here. So you have to okay. excuse that. But um, you know what I abstain from? I abstain from going to see that doctor. That's right. I abstain from answering any phone call that came from that doctor. I abstain from uh, taking any freaking prescription medication that she, right. blood pressure, Prozac for depression, oh. and cholesterol. Oh. Just stop taking anything. Yeah. And um, just drank. I knew at that point I pretty much was going to die from yep. drinking and I didn't care. I, mean, I um, loved drinking. Yeah. I didn't want to give that up for anything, anything. Then came the anger issues with my husband and I realized okay. I got to quit this. So I got to quit it. And I said, I'm going to get a divorce and I'm going to go to detox. Boom. All at the same time. Yeah. I, I made arrangements take myself to detox i got a new doctor okay. about going to detox and yeah. my my new doctor i liked a lot better than my old doctor she didn't treat me like i was a child okay and that so can make we, a big difference oh yeah and we seriously we really can alcoholism yeah. and and i didn't i wasn't ready i still wasn't ready okay and you know and the fighting continued and one day like i got up uh, we were sleeping in separate bedrooms and he stuck his be head in my bedroom and screamed at me and i got out of my bed and i ran to his door and i slammed it like 15 freaking times as hard as i could and i just had this oh, anger coming out of me yeah so i said i gotta do i called made arrangements finally to go into detox. I made arrangements that I wouldn't have to go into the inpatient. I could just do the detox and then go home and do an outpatient. Um, yeah. So I did that scared to death. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. 
Um, I detoxed, um, felt a lot better right away, but just scared so much emotion. Like I never had felt emotion for 25 years. I, yeah. Even younger. I mean, I think we didn't show a lot of emotion growing yeah, up. We weren't allowed to. No. And like, I mean, my mom and dad, and we never even said, I love you. Like we never no. said, I love you. I, I probably was, you know, late thirties before we were saying, I love you. And it yeah. was weird. Like it felt weird to even say that. But so I went to detox, came out, um, told my husband before I'm going to detox, I'll be gone maybe five days and I'm filing to, for divorce. Yeah. And that was it. I, you know, I drove myself. He wasn't there to support me for any of that. Yeah. Um, I came home, I contacted my attorney filed for divorce wow. and immediately started going to AA and um, learning about AA. I, you know, even though I went to detox, yeah. I did not think to myself, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. I thought, you know, I'm just having problems with drinking and I don't it's, know. It's a phase. I never really had withdrawals, sure. but I never really never drank. I was drinking every day. Like I never yeah. went any period of yeah, time. You, yeah, you, in order to get withdrawals, you gotta kind of quit, stop. But I never even like in the morning got up shaky. The worst I okay. noticed was okay. I was having my signature. Like I couldn't write, I couldn't print. I couldn't, if my writing and was so uncontrolled, it was sloppy. And okay. even if I tried to make it nice and neat, it wouldn't come out neat. So yeah. was, the alcohol was affecting me. Um, and I, my doctor said, you know, I don't, you should quit under observation because if you go through withdrawals, it can kill you. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't know if I would or not. So I said, okay, I'll go to detox. I'll just, be there and they'll help me if I have withdrawals, they'll give me meds so it's not as terrible yeah. and I'll get through this. If I can get through four and five days of not drinking, I can maintain that, you know? So I came out, I went to, the day I came home, I was at an AA meeting nice. that night, you know, I didn't know anybody. I went myself, um, I, it was, I didn't know, scared. Almost every evening, you know, I'd end up crying. Mm. I was crying all the time. Next thing you know, I'm carrying Kleenex in my car. I never <laughs> knew when the, the fountain was going to start. Yep. What would burn on. What would start it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Don't like, say hi to me. I know. <laughs> I was like That's that, too. I was, very, I was very sensitive when I first came <laughs> to the program. Very That's sensitive. In IOP, every time I talked, I'd cry. Yep. It was terrible. I was the person, I was the older lady in IOP yeah. that always cried. <laughs> you know, we pent up these emotions for years. And once it starts, it's hard to turn it off. Once you become aware, yeah. it really is hard to turn off. So it, it came, turned into um, every time, like, the crying, I had went off my Prozac, like I said before. So okay. I had a stash of Prozac still, which was old. 
And yeah. I, I was became my own doctor. I said, I'm just going to start taking my Prozac again. Maybe it's because I'm just depressed, you know. And I called my doctor. I said, I'm taking Prozac again. It seems to be making me feel better. I'm not crying near as much. But I was still emotional. Um, but then it became... I was so aware of every emotion. I tried to figure out why I was having the emotion ah. and digging into it. So yeah. after IOP, which lasted three months, I started seeing therapists regularly. Good. The AA started going to AA. I had to feel my way through AA. It was all in-person yeah. meetings. Um, it wasn't working for me. I had people, like I had people who are real needy hanging okay. on to me and i wasn't even okay. sure what i was doing yet you know i needed to yeah. be i guess more selfish and just work on me so i had i started pushing people away yeah that were like kind of needing me i needed i needed me yeah you yeah and so i you didn't wanted need... to be a person that was you know worth having or, or being able to come to and be reliable and you weren't there yet is what you were I saying. I didn't need another responsibility for another person. Yeah. It turns out, you know, I, I've been a caretaker all my life. I never yep. knew. And that's where I'm nice to the person at first. But now I'm realizing there's boundaries. Ooh, who knew there was ever a boundary? <laughs> ever. You know? So going through the AA, I'm learning. Like, I mean, listening. I'm learning. I'm a sponge. Mm -hmm. Um. I started to experiment with the Zoom meetings. Okay. Just the basic beginner meetings. Um, really? sitting in the background, not really sharing. If I shared, it was real short and sweet. And okay. it always had something to do with whatever someone else was talking about that I already had experienced. Sure. I didn't experience a lot at that time because everything was so new. Yeah. I never knew about AA, I never went to AA, I never relapsed. Right. Um, never. I will knock on wood to this day. I never say never, but I, I didn't have the same experience that a lot of people did yeah. with the being in and out and coming back and trying over and over again. And the hard home life and a uh, hard religious background. No, um, and I, there was very little religion in my life. So I did notice one thing: your parents yeah. never told you they loved you. And I yeah. think that had a, out of your parents didn't hug you, they probably, and I'm guessing, um, and that had an effect on you. No, there was not a lot of touchy-feely hugs. Like, you'd hug, but it was, like, real quick, and it wasn't a hug. Like, you got a bear hug. hug. You could feel the love. Yeah. It was just like a hug, like, just to show, like, for show, kind of. Yeah. Even if there weren't other people watching, it was still just kind of, like, you know, obviously, through this whole process, I've learned about, you know, my mom and dad's past and how they were raised, which, you know, folds over into our yeah. lives. So it's just stuff I need to learn to deal with and accept yeah. and forgive. So and that's that a I great attitude to have because we got to get to a point in our lives where we don't deter We got to stop blaming our parents for who we are. That's right. They take responsibility for our own actions. Sure. They did the best that they could. They were, my parents did. Yep. And that's, that's what they did. You know, they did the best. And my mom, unfortunately, she's passed been about four years. Okay. So she's not seen me going through this process at all or okay. getting to this point. My dad's still around. So 
okay. every once in a while, I'll ask him, you know, like about his childhood. And I'm, yeah. I want to see like why this is, why this is and why this happened. Yeah. He's been more than open with me about, he never realized, like when I bring things up to him, he never realized yeah. what they were doing was harmful in any way to us. Exactly. And that, so... Know naive is not a bad word and that's what they were naive they didn't know mm -mm. like my parents didn't know they took the advice of of phil donahue and uh it was wrong yeah. right thank you phil donahue. Yeah. <laughs> he was actually on my four step my first four step <laughs> as, a, as a resentment or yeah, did you he, owe him tough love. <laughs> he was the tough love promoter Oh, oh, because he and made my parents, parents. My parents thought they knew what tough love, and they tough loved me. And you think Phil made them do that? <laughs> yeah, he, they took his advice. That's funny. Silly stuff. <laughs> no, I know, but it's crazy that where we get these ideas, and we all have ideas that are similar. Yeah. It's insanity. Where you know yeah. that comes with being. Alcohol. It's just like a lot of people listen to Doctor Oz. It's not any different. No, you know, going with the changes. And Doctor Phil was one of my favorites for a long time. Doctor Phil is awesome. I, <laughs> I love Doctor Phil. Yeah, but I don't watch him on TV ones. now since I quit drinking. You yeah, know, the, I don't watch. Yeah, my responsibilities and interests have changed dramatically, and. Yeah. I bet. What's it's, it like? It, it's great. I'm really happy where I'm at. And the program, I have to say, um, saved my life. I never felt that my life was in immediate jeopardy. jeopardy. Yeah. But I did, you know, think eventually I was going to die from cirrhosis of the liver or something because I wasn't willing to quit drinking ever, you know. And after that, like within three months of being sober i had my blood work done again and my liver went back to normal functioning it so does. It, it does. i was Good so job. happy to hear that congratulate i remember getting that news i was like because i was yellow i was jaundice yeah i was this uh man scary yeah i don't have another recovery in me there's no way i could make it back my body no. it'll, it'll just shut down like I wonder how fast the liver would go if we would start drinking again. Like it would that would it just like immediately or would it have to work up to it again? That just like is, progression. It might take a couple of months, but it won't. Yeah. Be long. No. Yeah, not like the, the in, initial. It, it heals, but not. It doesn't become fully functional again. I mean, there's some, some of it if there's scar tissue damage, but it's still usable. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God. Anyway. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, so going through the steps have been, uh, I went through them slowly because it was so such a learning experience. Yeah. And I really didn't think, like, do I really need to do those steps? Like, I didn't even know what they really entailed. So it wasn't like yeah. I was trying to avoid anything. I didn't know what it was. And maybe I was trying to avoid the fact that I would be moving towards something. I didn't know what it was, which yeah. is fear. You know, it is, it's fear. So you tend to stick with what you're comfortable with. Yeah. And even though I wasn't drinking, which I was very comfortable with, <laughs> I've still had a comfort zone there that everything was changing because I quit drinking. Yeah. So I was like 
still trying to just get comfortable with that. And I didn't want to take on another thing that was uncomfortable. But eventually, um, through the Zoom meetings, I started, you know, talking, um, developing fellowship with certain people. Yeah, we were exchanging I bet, numbers. I and, bet your friendships are different now, too. Absolutely. All my friendships. Like, I think it happened that I isolated myself through yeah. the pandemic and the drinking. That's when everything became so terrible. And I quit bartending because of that. Yeah. And I totally no one came around. All my friends were drinkers. And yeah. some people didn't come around because of the pandemic. And some people, you know, they're yeah. drinking too. That's all they're worried about, selfish drinking. And I wasn't inserting myself in their life. They had no reason to seek me out. Yeah. So I, all of those ties for three to four years were broken. Yeah. And I was able to start fresh in the friendship category yeah. and meet, you know, choose my friends more cognizantly yeah cognitively exactly and, and smartly and yeah. say i don't want this drama and i don't really want to be around people who are drinking yeah. and Not so really. meeting my friends slowly i mean it took a while to meet people in person but i have a handful of friends now that i've met in person since i've quit drinking that you know we're developing our relationships yeah. i'm very happy with those um the yeah. progress and, of those. yeah because it feels natural i mean i'm 52 and i'm just figuring out what friendship's all about you know yeah um and the progress and that's okay. slow. it's a slow progress but it's a comfortable i don't yeah. feel overwhelmed it's a comfortable pace i like and, that and i don't feel these people are like needing me and i'm not needing them we're there to it's support not each other equally you know yeah. now my friends are like hey uh why'd you put that on facebook i suggest you take it down dumbass yeah those are my <laughs> friends now oh i used to my, tell my husband my that friends call me up they're like dion you're too comfortable on your program so i'm calling to make you uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> so yeah but it's true it's true it's been it's been quite a journey and I'm glad I'm on it and every day I learn more and I grow more and I want to learn more and um going through the steps just um briefly the the biggest hurdles for me was the spirituality okay um, coming to um believe in some and turn over my life like it seems so extreme I'm like how not gonna take control of my yeah. life and just let that as, happens. It's not as extreme as we make it in our heads. It's though. not. And the more <laughs> I thought about it, and then the more perspectives I got from many other people, it came to me that if you just have the willingness to, to believe something out there is greater than you, yeah. of course. How did this all get here? There's somebody like I'm not going to go out there and create the earth yeah. in the sky. Something had to do that. That's something greater than me. Yeah, I absolutely believe that's there. Um, so I was able to move forward on that preface, and yeah. then get the awakening came slower. Then I wanted that. I'm like, oh my god, I'm looking for 
something to show me. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see like one day, uh, as silly as it was, there was a reflection on my ceiling and I kept looking at it. And this is when I was seeking God sure. every day for a period of time. And I really wasn't feeling like I was getting what I needed. And I see this reflection and I look around, I'm like, I have no, all my curtains are drawn. The sun's not even really out. I don't have any really lights on that would be causing this reflection. I go get my ladder. I'm climbing up the ladder. I'm touching this reflection. I'm like, okay, there's a, sh my hand is creating a shadow. And I'm like, bringing my hand down, trying to figure out where it's coming from. Do you know I had put a candle on my <laughs> countertop that was never there before, and it had a silver lid. Ah. And the light from my kitchen, which was way off to the distance, was somehow yeah. catching that and making that reflection. Did I feel stupid? <laughs> that, <laughs> I thought that, that was my that sign. doesn't mean it wasn't a sign from God. No. It was a sign. Yeah. And then I found my sponsor through Zoom and it just fell in my lap. Like, <laughs> I didn't even want to get a sponsor. I'm like, I don't need a sponsor. I'm not doing these steps. And and one of the friends I developed with over, I uh, developed a chat relationship with over Zoom. Um, she lived in PA, kind of where I was at while I was in school and losing my job. <laughs> um, <laughs> ruining my profession. She, we started chatting and she said, oh man, I, I got a sponsor. She, and then somebody who comes to this meeting we always go to. I was like, are you serious? And she said, yeah, we're going to start reading the big book. Um, and there's a couple other girls who are reading it too. And I said, oh, do you think you could ask her if I could join you guys? And I wasn't even thinking it was going to be a sponsor thing. I just thought it would be a group of girls reading the book, you know, and it, and she said, Oh, absolutely. You can join. So I joined and my sponsor, I loved her right away. Like we clicked and, um, I could really relate. We basically just read, there were like four girls and we weren't really getting into personal stuff, but when we mm -hmm. came to the fourth step, everyone started dropping off. And the next thing you know, it was just me and my sponsor moving forward in these steps, which I craved the one-on-one -on -one, yeah. um, dealer dealing with somebody. I, I needed that. needed that. I needed it and I was able to really be open and honest completely. There's things yeah. I probably wouldn't have said in a group sitting that exactly. I could now be honest about. And mm -hmm. um, so we did our steps, just me and her. Yeah. And um, I got through those steps and then it was, I need to give back. Yeah. And I was scared. I'm like, I'm not ready. I own six, like I have six in three weeks sobriety right now. And I mm -hmm. probably finished the steps when I had like five and some weeks sobriety. So maybe a yeah. month went by where people were telling me you need to start sponsoring people. I'm like, I don't think I'm ready. I just don't feel like I know that book. I don't know it inside and out. Yeah. I don't feel like I would be given someone the best of me to guide them through these steps. Like, I feel like I should give what I got, and I got yeah. that.
I felt like I got the best. I understand that. Yeah. So what I do now is I go to every book reading meeting I can go to, you know, and um, read it over and over and over. And mm -hmm. the first time I read it, it probably when I did the steps was the first time I read it. It probably went in one ear and right out yeah. the other. Sure. And I never really realized that. Yeah started reading again next you know I'm highlighting stuff i'm making notes started reading again the old bigger highlights bigger notes <laughs> like every time i'm learning more and more so now yeah um i'm gonna start sponsoring and good. i good good for you i have somebody next week i'm gonna start with so i'm looking forward to that and it's an in-person person yeah and way to way to you know be honest with yourself because sometimes we need to realize that maybe we're just not quite ready yet. So you went and prepared yourself. The best way to learn something is to teach it. And when you become a sponsor and start teaching the program, the whole world changes. Yeah. And sometimes we need to prepare for that. I don't feel like I was ready to real. I had a lot of problems. Um, I had anxiety attacks when I first came into the problem program. <laughs> Um, I was knocked out. I I wasn't ready to help people till I was about three, three and a half years sober. Really? Yeah. See, and I think I know everybody's different, but the yeah. the people in my circle that I'm dealing with on Zoom and like my sponsor, sponsor and stuff like that, um, they're all like they're saying like if you've did your twelfth step and you're not sponsoring somebody already, you're not really an alcoholic and stuff like that. And that, I don't like, know that where can, that comes from. That there's, can't be true. Yeah, there's nothing in the book. I, that says it that. makes me if I get a pit in my stomach over something, I have to now like I'm aware of these before I yeah. drink, I drink it down. There isn't yep. a pit in my stomach, you know. But now I go, why do I have that? Why do I feel that way? Yeah. And I go, oh because I've taken on too much. I'm yeah. not ready for it. Let's cut out a couple little things here. And then I felt that way, like I'm not feeling right. And I pray to God, let me know when I'm ready. Guide me when I'm ready. Guide me through the steps, be with me through the process. Make okay. sure I helping these people, you know, um, and giving them the best I can. But you. you're you're right. It says in the big book that sometimes this happens quickly, sometimes mm -hmm. it happens slowly. We say it in the meeting all the time. Right. And then somebody you know, says to me that, whatever. But I know because some people are like, oh, you've only been sober five months, you went through the steps. Like, yes, people do Bill W did his steps in two days. Oh two well. days. Well, he was only doing six back then, right? <laughs> no, he did all twelve in okay. two days, and then and then. But yes, you're right. Good catch, good catch. You do know your. I learned a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> this has been fantastic. And one other thing, like I want to just talk about. Absolutely. God coincidences. Okay. Like you always say, oh, that's a coincidence, and then. And so many things, like when I did have my spiritual experience, um, it was just the realization that God's always been there. And I just never really noticed and realized yeah. what exactly it was talking to me and putting me in situations where it was perfect and it grew me and 
propelled me along this path to yeah. my next step on the path. Yeah. And now I can work with that. But the, the main thing is my new sponsee, who I'm really excited about starting with next week, she's the first person when I walked into my home group, the very first week I got out of detox, my uh -huh. second AA meeting ever, walked into that room and drew to her like a magnet yeah and sat down we looked at each other introduced ourselves and really didn't say much after that but just knew didn't need to there was a connection between us and that's done nothing but grow 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 and i just happened to do my steps before her and she's like a month month sober longer than me okay. and she's not been it ready to do her steps and we talk i mean once a week or so it's not like every day or anything but she came to feeling that she's not ready and she asked me so i feel so good about that yeah and just another thing like she's gonna help me even more while yeah. I'm her. <laughs> yep being a sponsor is very fulfilling mm -hmm. very it's very fulfilling because uh the dividends you get from it. What what happens is you you help these people and then you start to live in a state of gratitude. And gratitude just becomes a way of life. Uh, instead of just being a feeling, it's something you get for doing the work. Mm -hmm. And it'll be something entirely different than you've ever felt in your life. And I'm, I'm excited for get you. ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I think you're ready to. Oh, what a great you. story. Yeah. And thank you. You're welcome. I could talk about so much more, but it's just because I was an alcoholic for 25 years. Yeah. Well, I still am. Yeah. Now, I always, you know, you can always come back on. We can discuss topics and things like that. So keep that in mind. Um, I always invite people to come on. I love talking about tough topics um, because they need to be talked about. Yeah. And I just want to mention that you're a big part of my recovery as well. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to have met you along the line. I'm glad that I'm glad I met you too. The thank whole you. set of people. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. And that's one thing that, you know, and I appreciate the compliment. I really do. Well, folks, you know, while I was listening to this, Anne kept telling us that. You know, our story is a little bit different. And everybody's story is different. Here's the thing. There's going to be people out here that listen to this and go, and told my story. Yeah. Okay. Now, our stories may be different, but we've all lost same, the same thing, and that is ourselves. And that's all we really need to lose in order to enter this program. I don't care about your age. I don't care about your sexual relations or 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 your race it doesn't matter to me i'm going to help you alcohol doesn't care and neither do i the only requirement is that you be a child of god and for that i will help you thank you everybody for being here this has been a raw recovery trudging together podcast i love you peace out and have a day <laughs>